This is the Creasecast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Creasecast. It is just me today. Aren't you unlucky? <laughs> um, Cody is off today because he is covering the uh, Utica Comets first game of the regular season. They were playing the Rochester Americans today. Uh, and I believe they won that game. So you can tell Cody is excited probably to go uh, cover a team that's actually winning. Uh, you should go, and you should definitely go check out his game recap, which will be up by the time this, uh, podcast is uploaded. Uh, you should go check it out at thecometsharvest.com if you can. But, yeah, it's just me today, and it's too bad, because today, there, in the last few days for the Vancouver Canucks, have been just an absolute shit show. I, I'm sorry to swear right at the top here, but oh my god, has it been just awful. It, every time we think that it can't possibly get any worse, it gets so, so much worse. Uh, and I'm not even just talking about the fact that the Canucks got absolutely destroyed 7-3 to by the Toronto Maple Leafs on Thursday. I'm talking about just everything surrounding it, just the whole mess. It's, it's, been, a, it's been an absolute mess. Uh, nonetheless, I do have an infinity blocker to hand out today. Uh, the, as you, if you did not listen to the last episode, the Infinity Blocker is our version of the Infinity Gauntlet from the Marvel movies. It is the, who, who was the best, it's our version of the player of the game, who did the best for his team, despite all the circumstances. Uh, and this, this episode, I'm giving it to Tanner Pearson. If I have to give it to a Canuck, it's Tanner Pearson. Why? He scored the first goal of the game. It was a very greasy goal. He just whacked at the puck a couple times, got past Freddie Anderson. Uh, some woman on Canucks Twitter uh, predicted that would be the first goal of the game, which is even weirder. Uh, maybe she should have gotten the infinity blocker today. Uh, he is one of the only players to have a non-negative plus-minus on the Canucks during that game. Is plus-minus a good stat? No. Is it still kind of telling when? Is it still kind of telling if you're one of the only players on the team that does not have a negative one in a specific game? Yeah, I think so. And he had five shots on goal, which uh, uh which was five out of the Canucks' nineteen in that game against Toronto. Twenty, which was twenty six point three percent of all shots over a quarter of the Canucks' shots were off the stick of Tanner Pearson. Tanner Pearson was all right. He did. He had an okay game, despite oh, literally everything else that went wrong for the Canucks yesterday in the last few days. He was. He did. He did all right. He did all right, and that's why he gets the Infinity Blocker today. I don't even know where to begin here. This was a huge. This has been a mess of a day. Again, I am so sad Cody's not here to talk about this today because there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. And I don't really even know where to begin. Uh, the, the game almost feels secondary. It doesn't feel like the most important story that's come out of the last couple days. But nonetheless, I will start there because it's indicative of why everything else is so bad. I mean, the Canucks were completely outclassed, outmatched in every single possible angle yesterday. It looked like they might do okay in the first period. Uh, it looked like they were doing all right for a while. Um... They held their in. It was only 2-1 to one Toronto after the first period. Um, admittedly, I, uh, was not, I was not able to watch the, the first two periods of the game uh, yesterday because I was, uh, I was at work. I was running a couple errands, just the, 
Just the, the Eastern time, Eastern start uh, doesn't necessarily work with my schedule Monday to Thursday, so I'm uh, so I wasn't able to get to it until last night. I was able I I only watched the replay last night of the first two, and the Canucks seemed like they were doing okay for the first part of the game. They felt like they looked like they might be okay. They had their moments. The they had they got the hardworking goal in front of the net for Tanner Pearson. Uh, uh, that, uh, that, I believe that was the Horvat hoglander line out there at the time, uh, or something, or Pedersen was out there, my bad. Pedersen was out there with Hoglander and Pearson, uh, because they split up the lotto line. They, they were, they were getting their opportunities, for sure. They got their opportunities, they looked like they were gonna hang in there, there were a couple breaks that didn't go their way. The first goal was maybe something Thatcher Demko would want to have back, uh, from Austin Matthews, but salvageable. There was a salvageable game in there. And then the second period happened, and just everything went to went to <laughs> went badly very very quick. They again for the first little while it felt like they might hold their hold in there. They had they sure they gave up the very early goal to Austin Matthews again in the second period, but Bo Horvat tied it up seconds after to make it three to two. It's a one goal game. Very much could swing in the Canucks' favor, and then the bottom fell out. You had Jason Spezza getting his second goal of the game, John, John Tavares scoring. The the mounting frustration was palpable. You could see the Canucks slowly just evaporating. Everything, nothing going well. Uh, just a lot of missed, a lot of missed assignments. Everything was going against them, and it, they couldn't recover. And they just couldn't recover. It looked like a team that was completely lost, has completely lost its way. They and they were outclassed by completely outclassed by a team that's much better than they are. There's nothing I can say that doesn't tell you the full story, which is that the Leafs are better than the Canucks right now. Very clearly, it's a very obvious step. And I talked about that on the last episode. How there seems to be a canyon of uh, a canyon between a team like the Canucks and a team like say the Canadians or the Leafs, and that was very well proven. They. They didn't help themselves out, that's for darn sure. I mean, they only had 20 shots. Uh, they had less than 20 shots. They had 19, which is worse. <laughs> which is one shot worse, but it still matters. Uh, whereas the Leafs had nearly 40. Uh, they had 37 on the night, which is uh, way too many to be giving up. Too ma the defense just getting completely overwhelmed um, and completely getting busted wide, op wide open by a Toronto team with a just stacked offense. Uh, everything they have everything going for them. I mean, Jason Spezza scored a hat trick last night, guys. He makes seven hundred thousand dollars. He is a fourth line player for the Leafs, and he scored a hat trick. I I don't really know what better way to describe that to really tell you how badly this team has been besides that stat that they gave up three goals to Jason Spezza. And fun fact, it is not 2007 right now. It's 2021. And they were completely outclassed in those last two periods, and it showed. They were not ready to hang with Toronto, and yet they have two more games against the Leafs in the, in the coming days. Uh, and they're going to have to find a way to deal with it. JT Miller got off got off the schneid a little bit. He had a couple he had a couple points. I believe he had a, he had a goal in the third period, and it was a very classic JT Miller goal. Just a beautiful hard shot right past Freddie Anderson. 
he he found his groove, but again, there was still something's wrong. Something is still clearly wrong there. I mean, the frustration is obvious. A lot of people were talking about it last night, how he has just not looked the same. He has not looked like the player he did last season. He seems to be getting points, but something about the way he's handling the fact that he's struggling uh, and his body language, the way he's, he's dealing with assignments near the front of the net is completely different from last year. Years where he would be normally just hounding a guy uh, in front of the net or complete right on his man, he looks lost. He looks lost. He looks like he's not trying. He he's And it's getting to a point where it, uh, people are wondering if he should have been benched, if he should be benched. Uh, I, I mean, we talked—I mean, Cody talked about it in the last episode. We, you know, if this team were a little bit more— uh, a little bit more stacked offensively, had more options at its disposal, JT Miller might have been scratched, or he might have been sent to the for demoted to, like, fourth-line duty, only playing a few minutes a night, uh, based on the way he's been handling the issues uh, in his game of late. Um, he definitely can't be on this team because they don't have the horses. to. They don't have the horses for that. They need JT Miller to get going. They need everybody in those in that top six going, and they need to give them as much ice time as possible because they know if they're not getting it, no one is. And that is inherently what the pro and that's inherently the problem here. And yet, here's the weird thing, and this is the part that I kind of didn't realize until someone pointed it out on Twitter yesterday. Lots of the Canucks are playing near a point per game right now which seems crazy given the circumstances, given the way they are, given the way they're playing. A lot of Canucks right now are scoring at close to a point per game. Elias Pettersson has definitely struggled. I mean, the frustration has been obvious with him, especially yesterday. He took, I believe he would have had a penalty on the play uh, early in the second period where Austin Matthews scored uh, that got canceled out because of the goal. And then I also noticed on the on the replay of that as well, he just cross-checked Mitch Marner into the boards. Like, nowhere near the net. He's not near the net. He's behind the boards like a completely late cross-check uh, while the play is going on nearby. He's not in the play at all. He's just taking his frustration out on, on Marner. And that's very telling because Pedersen's a guy who doesn't, who doesn't let guys get his goat very often. And to see him doing that while a scoring chance is happening, is extremely telling of where this team's mindset is at right now. When your best player is completely out of the play, taking a more or less a cheap shot at a player, at a at another at, a, at an opponent, is telling that this team is completely not here. They're not in the right mindset, and yet there are four players right now who are playing close to a point per game. I mean, Quinn Hughes is over it. Quinn Hughes is over that mark right now. He has 15 points in 14 games. He is the leading point getter in the NHL among defensemen. He's sixth in NHL scoring, I believe, right now. Uh, you can go, ch and that might have changed since the last time you were, since the la since uh, you were here. He's tied. He's tied with a number of players, uh, but the NHL has him listed sixth. So he's he's listed in the top five. He's technically tied for fifth right now with 15 points. Most of any defenseman, two ahead of Jeff Petrie. Uh, for most points by a defenseman. Which is shocking when you consider what's been going on. Brock Besser has 13 points in 14 games. JT Miller, for all of the stuff and all the issues we've been talking about with JT Miller over the course of this season, he still has 13 points in 11 games. Which is 
baffling. It makes no sense the way we've been talking about him, right? Bo Horvat at is has 12 points in 14 games. He's still below the mark, but he's very close. Which begs the question, why are we here? Why are we talking about this right now? Why does everything feel so messed up? Why does this entire team feel like a lost cause? What, how is it possible that their players are scoring at such a their top players are still scoring at such a great clip and yet they cannot string more than a few wins together. They have six wins and eight losses, but they've looked a lot worse in those losses. And unfortunately, this is this is unfortunately, I don't think there's any way you could put it other than this is no this we're no longer talking about a team a good team that's struggling. It doesn't seem like it anymore. We're not talking about a good team that's struggling. We seem to be talking about a team that isn't good, that just simply isn't good. And I hate to be, to put it that bluntly, but it's the truth. This is not a good hockey team. This is a mediocre hockey team at best, a bad hockey team by most people's standards. And that goes all the way up to management right now. That goes up to a lot of... that. There's a lot of people to put the blame on to, that deserve some blame right now. And um, no, nobody more bigger to put the blame on than Jim Benning right now. Um, there was a... There, and, this is, and this is the wider issue that's been going on with this Canucks team right now. Uh, this happened on... Uh, on I believe this was on this was on the fourth. This was this was yesterday. Wow, this was yesterday. It feels like an eternity ago. Good lord. Yesterday, an article came out by Ben Kuzma of the province uh, with Jim Benning, uh, basically asking, basically going down to why Tyler Toffoli was not kept, why the Canucks did not get uh, re-signed Tyler Toffoli. And it's a great question considering how good he's been for the Canadians and how much he has torched them. In the last few games, why is why are we talk, why is this a problem? Why are we asking about this now? Um, and uh, Jim Benning had his quotes to sit, had his quotes asked about it. Was, was asked about it by Ben Kuzma. It was our intent. This is a quote. It was our intention to try and get him signed, and we could, and if we could have had a little more time, we could have tried to work through that. Benning said Wednesday. It got to a point where I know Tyler wanted to come back and we were trying to figure it out. We kind of ran out of time with him getting offers and one he needed to take. We would have had to have moved money out. He, he's got nine goals and eight against us and we tried to figure something out with him, but we didn't. To fully play 10 games with us in the regular season and scored six goals in the playoffs, he played hurt and was supposed to be out there longer, but came back to help the team. And these are the... I'm trying to find the... I'm trying to find the quote, the quote, the other quote here, but the main quote was, if we'd had, if we could have had a little more time, we would have, if we could have had a little more time, we could have tried to work through that. A little more time. Think about that for a second. He's talking about a player who he acquired in February, who he let go in October. That's seven months. If, uh, my math might be off there. But that is, that's seven, that's, uh, that's eight months, eight months, eight months. 
to figure out what to do with Tyler Toffoli. To, what to do about re-signing Tyler Toffoli. And he didn't do it. He let him walk. And right now, they are very much hurting offensive with more depth offensively and more depth and just more depth in general. And he let Tyler Toffoli walk and said, we, if we had had more time, which, so let's, let's not call, let's call a spade a spade here saying that making the excuse of you didn't have enough time to re-sign Tyler Toffoli is complete crap. That's a crap answer to that question. You could say we didn't have, we can, there is so many other things you could say. You could say, we felt we had the pieces in the room to, and uh, we had to save that money for other purposes or what have you. There are so many other excuses that you could make. To say you didn't have enough time is crap. Is beyond crap. Good general managers know that if a player is worth it, which Tyler Toffoli clearly was based on how well he played for the Canucks uh, in the regular season, in the short season, and in the playoffs was clearly worth it. General managers know to just make that deal now and figure out the problem, the how to move money out after. You have you hand you give the handshake agreement, and you make it work. The Vegas Golden Knights. This is the example I gave on Twitter. They gave Alex Petrangelo eight point eight million dollars. They made that offer despite having zero available to them, because. It didn't matter because it wasn't a because they knew that if they got him, it would make them a better team, and that they if they once they had the agreement down, they would find the cap space to do it. The Canucks very well could have found the cap space to do it. That might have made, meant making a trade that's not beneficial to you, or you know maybe you have to part with some draft picks that you were not anticipating because you need to move out guys like Tyler Myers making six million dollars a year, Louis Erickson making six million dollars a year, Brandon Sutter making five, I believe, or four, something and something stupid. Like all of the players that you could have moved, you could have dealt with. You you very easily could have dealt with this. But they didn't. Because either two for two reasons. Either A, Jim Benning never wanted to keep Tyler Defoley and he was just bringing him in to so the Canucks would make the playoffs and he could keep his job. Or, number two, they didn't try hard enough. They didn't try hard enough. There is... It's so baffling that, that we have to talk about this. That we still have to talk about this. This is a guy... This is a management team that has completely dropped the ball numerous times. This free agency in particular. And again, I say that as somebody who felt... The Canucks made the right decision moving on from Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom in particular. Moving on from them felt like, felt like the right thing to do. But a lot of stuff we've talked about, a lot of stuff that's come out, especially regarding those situations, has been abysmal and just such a bad look on this management team. Specifically, Rick Dollywell talking about how both Chris Tanev and Troy Stetcher felt completely slighted by the organization and that there was zero communication on their part and that they felt completely like they're they felt like they were never that interested like the team was never that interested in bringing them back to begin with and that they were an afterthought uh Tyler Toffoli made similar made similar claim uh made a, had a similar conversation where he felt that it he felt like he wanted to come back but management wasn't actually all that interested in it 
And you couple that with the fact that the Canucks management group at the same time, Jim Benning and his management team, were working very diligently hard to try and get Oliver Ekman Larson to come to Vancouver, to make an Oliver Ekman Larson trade happen, which is, thank God for them that didn't happen. Imagine if the Canucks had, had made that trade, had pulled the trigger on that trade. What a disaster zone this team would be right now. The team's already a disaster. They were lucky they didn't get that because then it freed them up to take Nate Schmidt, a much better defenseman, objectively a much better defenseman, uh, a few days later, uh, as direct fallout from the Petrangelo signing with the Knights. This Canucks team is not is built poorly because this team has no idea how to manage itself. This ownership, this management team, Jim Benning, has not managed a good hockey team. This is a poorly built team. And we are seeing the fruits of that right now as the team completely just falls apart. It's just falling apart all around them. All of the holes in this team, in this group, are being exposed by better hockey teams. I mean, just looking at the lineup from yesterday. Uh, looking at the lineup from yesterday, the amount of players... You know how many players... Like, we talk all the time about Jim Benning's draft acumen and how great he is as a drafter at uh, bringing in prospects and everything. Out of, of all of Jim Benning's... Sign, of all of Jim Benning's draft picks in the last seven years... Jim Benning has been here seven years. You know how many Jim Benning draft picks were in the lineup against Toronto last night? There was Besser, Pedersen, Hoaglander, Godet, Vertanen, uh, Hughes, sorry, I don't know why I said Schmidt, and Demko. Six. Six in seven years. Jalen Chatfield was a signing. He was just a signing out of, out of uh, like an overager signing out of junior. Um, usually Zach McEwen's in the lineup, same deal. Tyler Mott was a trade pickup from the Thomas Vanek trade. Out of the actual draft picks that Jim Benning has, Jim Benning's management group has made in the last seven years, only six are in the lineup right now. That's, in, and think about how bad the Canucks have been. How many draft picks the Canucks have gone through in the last seven years, and high draft picks, and they only have six players, or... What is, yeah, six player, or do I have that right? I might have four. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, seven. Sorry, seven. Oh, seven players in seven years. That's a terrible batting average, especially when you consider that most of those are first rounders that you should always hit on. That you should always land on those players. When you take out the players that weren't first round picks, that leaves just Godet and Hoaglander. Or, and Demko as well. Demko at second, in a second round pick. A very high second round pick, might I add, which, by the way, well, frankly, actually, that shouldn't even count because technically Demko is a 32nd overall pick, which today would be a, which uh, when Seattle comes in next year will be a first round pick. So he frankly shouldn't count. We're going to just say, we're going to say it's just Godet and Hoaglander. Those are the only two players in this lineup right now that were drafted out of the first round that are on this team right now. That's embarrassing. That's nothing short of embarrassing. This team is a mess. Yesterday, it also came out that the Canucks do not have the assets to acquire Sam Bennett, which is, again, crazy to think about. 
and yes, I get some people were like, well, what about Pedersen and Besser? You could trade one of them. They would take that for Sam Bennett. It's like, well, obviously they're not going to do that. You you understand that's not what they're going to do here. So in terms of actual reasonable resources to acquire a Sam Bennett, a guy who can't even make his own team, is a healthy scratch, the Canucks apparently do not have the pieces to do that despite how bad they've been over the last seven years. They have had two good years under Jim Benning. One of those was mostly Mike Gillis people in, on the team. The other, the other was last year. This team is a mess. This team is a huge colossal mess. And frankly, I do not see, I do not see a situation, a good situation, where Jim Benning is still here by the end of this month. There's no way. There's just no way. Unless the team goes on an absolute tear and become and starts playing out of their mind again, there is no way he's still here at the end of the month. I would be shocked if he was still here at the end of the month. This is the fruits of their of this is they're reaping what they've sown right now, which is a not good hockey team, a team with no depth whatsoever, getting caved in by good teams, by well-built teams like Montreal and Toronto. This is not a good hockey team. And you have to hope that some new general manager will come in and fix things and turn the ship around. It won't be this year, but next year, maybe. I mean, one of the best examples I can give you here is that one of the best, the best, um, op the most optimistic things I can, uh, examples I can give you is that in 2008, the Canucks missed the playoffs under general manager Dave Notice. After, you know, adding Roberto Luongo the season before and making the playoffs and winning their division, they underperformed, or they kind of performed more to expectations in year two and missed it and missed the playoffs in 08. Notice was fired uh, by Francesco Aquilini, at the time, who at the time was a newer, new owner, relatively new owner of the Canucks at the time, uh, and replaced him with Mike Gillis. That team then went on to become one of the best teams in the NHL, one of the premier franchises in the NHL for five years. Uh, after all, after missing the playoffs, that's not bad. That 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 this could be a good thing. There is very real reason to believe that a, an off year like this could be a good thing for the Canucks. A lot of people talking about the frustration and how mad they are, how bad this team is, and there's no way out for this year unfortunately there is simply no way out you're gonna we're all just gonna have to ride it out and i hate that that i have to be so glib about it but that's just the way it is right now this team isn't very good and you hope that they can maybe maybe turn things around but right now that's just not gonna happen this team's just not that good their best players more or less with the exception of elias Pettersson, who's been struggling have been somehow still pulling their weight, but the rest of the lineup isn't. And that's just because they're not capable to do so anymore. This this is a this is not a good situation. The Canucks are stuck between a rock and a hard place. They kind of just have to weather the storm. And you hope that ownership looks at this team and says, well, this is a poorly built franchise and we need to make changes. And that starts at the top. The seat, the, there is no way that Jim Benning should expect to be here by the end of the year. He shouldn't. 
He just shouldn't. Unless, unless again, unless this team goes on a magic turnaround, I don't see a situation, a good situation, where he's still here. And with that, let's take some questions. I have two, we have two questions. Ah, this has been sad. I'm sad right now. Are you sad? I'm so sorry. I will try and think of something more in, more fun to talk to to bring us out with here. But for now, let's answer some let's answer some uh, a couple listener questions. We have two listener questions, both from Sully Larson at Sullivan J Larson on Twitter. The first question is: Locke, are you available to play D tomorrow night in Toronto? <laughs> now, I'll I'll be honest here, Sully. Uh, defenseman, defense is not my, is not my bag. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm flattered that you think of me first. Uh, but I am not a defenseman, unfortunately. I'm not, defenseman has never been my strong suit. Um, especially with what the Canucks need right now. I mean, the, the Canucks biggest problem, what is it? It's the fact that they're not good in their own zone. I am admittedly a defenseman that likes to, uh, when, on the few times that I played defenseman, which I believe I can count on one hand, um, I very much like to chase the puck. I am very much the, uh, a Quinn Hughes type of player with minus the actual skill that likes to chase the puck and try and put, and try and score goals. I'm usually a winger, uh, when I'm skating out, if I'm not playing goal. So I would say that I would not, I will say that quite honestly, as bad as this Canucks defense has been, I would not be an upgrade, unfortunately. If you want me to play third line wing, I could do that. Or fourth line wing, yeah, maybe I could maybe be an upgrade there. Or in net, for sure. I'm I'm a I'm an okay goalie. I'm a pretty good goalie. I don't think I'd be better than Braden Holtby or Thatcher Demko, but I'd be a good a decent an okay goalie. Uh, if you want me to put me on wing for the Canucks, sure, I could I can I can help you there. Uh, defense will not help you because very much I'm very much the type of defenseman that would go if somebody gave me the puck behind the net and it's like all right time for the breakout my immediate thought would be cool I'm gonna go try and solo dash through all five players and get a breakaway even though I do not have the foot speed or the skill to make that happen so unfortunately I am available if the Canucks do want to throw me in there for just something interesting to try something new sure sure okay I'll, I'll give it a go I just don't think I'll be an upgrade uh, and then, uh, for, <laughs> and then he asks, uh, Sully asks, okay, for my real question here, if Vancouver plays this poorly through the next two games and into the Calgary series, what's the first domino to fall? Uh, and his, is it, tra and what, is it Travis Green? That's a great question. I, I think, well, I think this could go one of two ways. I, I've talked about, like, I mean, I already said, I don't think that Jim Benning makes it to the end of the month. I think there are, I, I don't know if it's that quick, if the axe falls that quickly. It very well could. I mean, people are mad. People are mad enough that it, the domino could fall, the dominoes could fall that quickly. I would say there are two possible, there are two possible outcomes here when it comes to if somebody gets fired. If Travis Green is the first one to get fired, it means ownership has not learned anything, does not understand what the problem is. Has Travis Green been coaching particularly well lately? I'd say no. It hasn't been great. But also, look what the, the hand he's been dealt. It's not a great team. It's not a good team. I don't know if you... I don't know if, there, if you brought back prime in his... Prime coaching Scotty Bowman out of a time machine to coach this team that he could fix it. I don't know if you brought back Alain Vigneault in 2011 back... If he could fix this group, I 
all the best coaches of Canucks history and NHL history, I don't think any one of them could fix this lineup and make them a winner. So if Travis Green is the first one to get fired, it means that ownership, because again, reminder, friendly, obvious, the obviously the how it works is Jim Benning has to go to management, to ownership and say, hey, we need to fire the coach. And I talked about this before that if he tries and does that, he'd just be sharpening the knife for his own axe. He'd just be sharpening his own axe. Uh, but say if ownership listened to him and fired Travis Green, it means they've learned nothing. It means they have not learned and do not understand what the real problem is here. Coaching is not the problem here. Coaching hasn't been great, but it's far from the issue. The issue is with a poorly built team. And that goes to manage. And that, and that is on Jim Benning. Entirely solely on Jim Benning. And the way that he has handed out contracts and has built this franchise over the last seven years. So, I will say, no, I don't think Travis Green's going to get fired. I think that, yeah, if they play as badly as they have over the last few games into the cap, and they keep doing it for the rest of the Toronto series, eh, I could see that, yes. I could absolutely see Benning getting the axe then. Again, nobody's going to come in and fix it. Like, there is no... No matter who you bring in to replace Jim Benning, no one, none of them are going to come in and fix that team and make them better, at right, make them better in time for the playoffs this year. But, um, but at the very least, you'll be saying, okay, we believe that this team needs to be cannot be fixed by this group and by this management team, and we need somebody else to try and do it, to try and do it, because especially because again, you do not want to give Jim Benning. Uh, if you're already planning to fire Jim Benning, you do not want to have him still in charge of the team when the trade deadline comes around because that is a huge because that would be a massive mistake. So you hope that if ownership understands what's wrong with the team, that they give Jim Benning the axe first, and and then let the next GM decide what they want to do with Travis Green. I think Travis Green deserves a shot to stay with a decent team, especially how well how how well he coached the team during the playoffs last year. But um but we will see. I don't think Green will be the first to go unless ownership is making a terrible terrible mistake and poor very extremely under 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 poorly understanding what's what's actually wrong with the team with the hockey team. And yeah, I don't really know what else, much else there is to say. I knew this was going to be a short episode, but I'm trying to think if there's anything else I should mention before we close this episode out. Um, because, holy, it's, it's been such a bad... It, this week has felt like a month long, has it not? I'm, wear, uh, I'm wearing my Bunch of Jerks Carolina Hurricanes t-shirt because this is now a Hurricanes podcast in reality, although I don't think they played because of COVID pr precautions um that's another thing that's worth talking about is the COVID issues and how they're now definitely spreading from team to team um the one good thing about the north division that's been going well for everybody is that nobody's been getting sick which is great there were a couple early scares but overall they seem to have kept it out they've seemed to have kept it out nobody uh aside from Pierre-Luc Dubois was on the COVID on the COVID protocol list and that was only because he was coming from Columbus via trade um, I believe he will be making his first appearance on Tuesday, uh, playing his first game on Tuesday. Aside from that, no players are out sick right now, which is great for the Canadian division. The American divisions, on the other hand, have been a huge mess with COVID. It has been very clearly shown that it is now spreading by other team, from team to team. 
Uh, the Devils definitely made the Sabres sick, and the Sabres are pissed about that. Uh, the Avalanche have a few are now have had games postponed because of COVID positive COVID tests on their on their side, um, and that and that definitely came from playing the Minnesota Wild, who had their games shut down earlier in the week. This is a problem. Again, should hockey be? Again, I've talked about this before. Hockey probably shouldn't be playing right now. I don't think that's a secret. But they were going to make them play anyway, unfortunately. And this is the end result. This was bound to happen. I don't think... Again, I do think that once they really get into the, like, the stretch of the year, that they should be fine. But right now, the amount of games that are postponing are piling up for the NHL. Uh, the amount of teams that are having to postpone games is going up and up and up and up. And uh, you have to wonder if they're... And you do have to wonder if they're going to make it to the end of the year. They might not. They might have to stop early on. I mean, we saw the poor NWHL. They had to end their season early due to... What was this? Apparently, from what I heard, was not a bubble whatsoever. They said it was a bubble, uh, but it very clearly wasn't. Nearly every team got sick and sent home. Uh, some teams opted out, and they completely suspended the air. Uh, so that was a huge disaster for the NWHL. I feel so bad because I really liked watching the women's hockey games. And I hope the PHWPA, uh, barnstorming games, uh, do better in terms of keeping the players healthy and safe than the NWHL did. Uh, but from the NHL standpoint, they've started making a few changes. Like now the glass is gone behind the benches, I guess, to let more air flow through, which I don't think will do much. But sure, if it gives the coaches uh, a, a bit more room to stand like a, a couple feet back from the players, why not, I guess, give it a try. Uh, although one very funny thing, well, I say funny in a, in a not good way that came out of all that was um, the Florida Panthers said they couldn't because they had seen expensive season ticket holders sitting behind those benches so they couldn't take the that glass out which is the florida panthers basically way of saying that hey we don't care about playing getting our players sick we care about money because i don't know because that's 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 what this is they're playing for money reasons they're not playing for uh they're not playing because it's actually safe to right now unfortunately um hopefully they take the glass out and they adhere to those conditions um because yeah lots of people in the states are getting sick and the the states have done a very poor job at handling this whole thing and handling the pandemic lots of your risk at risk nearly every single time you walk out your door of getting covid doesn't matter how safe you are if you have a job and have to go work a job you're in, you're you're at huge risk in the states in canada it's much safer we are much we are doing a lot better it's not great like i mean bc has still had a lot of issues of late with COVID numbers, but they pale in comparison to what the U.S. has been dealing with. This and Canadian players are more or less players in Canada have been a lot safer and a lot more able to move around freely without worrying that they're going to get sick every time they go somewhere because people are taking it more seriously here. And uh, you hope that the that it doesn't come down to canceling games, but we like canceling games outright and going with a shortened points percentage season, but. We shall see. And if it's points percentage, uh, the Canucks are not in favor. This has not helped the Canucks in any way. They are in a lot of because tr- right now they are at a they're in a lot of trouble. They're at a, only a four twenty nine, I believe, right now. Yeah, four twenty nine. It's the second lowest in the division behind only Ottawa. Uh, 
They have more points than the Flames, but the Flames have played 14 less games. Not great. <laughs> it's not been a good run here. Um, the I'm trying to think if there's any other things I want to touch on before we get out of here. I I really don't think so. This team this team is struggling. This team is not good. This is not a good hockey team. You hope that the Canucks can maybe come out and surprise with a few wins on the weekend. I mean, you have Hockey Night in Canada, the nationally televised game Saturday night. If they come out with a lackluster performance like they have the last few games, all hell is going to break loose. I mean, all hell is already kind of broken loose. Um, it's not been a good run for sure. I mean, those four games you really hoped that they were going to... Those four wins in a row, you really hoped the momentum was going to swing in their favor. But right now... All that's left to do is just march to the end, which is so gl it's so dark and damning to be talking about. What are we? Fourteen games into the season. Um, is there anything good I can finish up on here? Um, I mean, Tyler Mott's looked very good. I've liked what I've seen from Tyler Mott, Antoine Roussel as well. Both of them have looked really good. Uh, depth wise, they've been all right. Uh, Niels Hoaglander continues to be an absolute menace around the net. He's been great. Thatcher Demko is getting absolutely no help from his defenseman and done okay. The last game was, uh, I would not call his best work, but, uh, it was no one's best work for that matter. And I don't feel like there's much else to say. This is, I feel like this is all that needs to be said right now with everything going on, uh, in terms of where this franchise is at. Um, and we'll see where they get to in the next... In the next few games. By the time we talk next, by the time we next do a show, Cody will be back for that episode on Tuesday. The Canucks will have played two more games against the Leafs and will be heading into a home stand against a three-game home stand against Calgary on the Thursday. And a lot can change. A lot might change about this team and the way it looks at the top and on the ice, possibly. In the next in the next in the next 3 days we shall see i hope things get better for everybody's sake not just for me cuz i like i've been miserable watching these games they've made me incredibly sad i hope for everyone's sake and i hope that this franchise that this team finds a way to get its act together because nobody wants to watch this not again we've already went through all the willy desjardins years all the bad tanking for pick years I thought we were done with this. I really did. I hope we are. I hope this team finds a way to get back to where it belongs. And that is it for this much shorter episode of the Crease Cast. Thank you for listening well, when it's just me doing the show on my own. Uh, if you enjoyed it, if you and all the other episodes we do, uh, please check out the Crease Cast Patreon for only five bucks a month. That's less than... A nice, Starbucks a nice Starbucks latte per month. You get bonus episodes of the Grease Cast uh, every every, uh, every month. You get early access to some of my articles on LockinTheGrease.com and uh, access to the Lock in the Grease Discord channel and more on the way. Um, make sure you check out my website at LockinTheGrease.com where I write articles like the North Division Power Rankings every single Sunday. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this uh, to the show on all of your plat on er whatever podcast platform you use, uh, as well as our YouTube channel where you can watch uh, where you can watch me have existential crises on while talking about the while talking about the Canucks. 
Uh, make sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, what else is there? Go, make sure to visit Cody's website, uh, CometsHarvest.com, and follow Cody on Twitter at, at Cody Sievertson. He just passed 900 followers. Hell yeah, he's getting close to 1,000. I am close, to, I am not close to 400, but if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I would like to get to 400 before the end of the season. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at LockInTheCrease. And that is it for this episode. Thank you for listening. This has been the Creasecast. Cody will be back on Tuesday. Uh, hopefully to talk about a, hopefully to talk about changes for the better uh, in ter- as this Vancouver Canucks team marches forward with two more games against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Thank you so much for listening. Good night.